Matthew 5, 1-12, through 12, the Pew Bible, it's on page 1010 through 1011. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, blessed are you when people who insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. Well, we're back with the gospel again as we continue through this huge series that began around Christmas with the arrival of the gospel. And we'll carry all the way through Easter with the accomplishing of the gospel. And right now we're kind of in the middle chapter where Jesus is going around and announcing the kingdom. Announcing the gospel. He announced it to a world that was very impatiently awaiting God to do something. And when I say a world, I mean the world he was born into, the Jewish world, right there in Israel. They were anxiously, impatiently waiting for God to show up and do something to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman tyrants that governed them. And they believed, in looking at their scriptures, that God had promised to do something, that He had promised to send a Messiah, a King. There were lots of promises about this and lots of beliefs about what this would look like, but everyone was hoping for it. And they, there were different groups that thought they could accomplish greatness for Israel in different ways. Different groups that thought they could bring about the Messiah in different ways. Some thought by the sword. Some thought by the law. Some thought by cozying up to the Romans. Some thought just by trying to escape the world altogether. And into this world Jesus came and began to teach and to preach and to heal and to do good things in the communities that he would go around in and to be persecuted and to be hunted and to be endangered. It's, it's quite an account. One of the things that he would talk about most often is who had access to the kingdom. Who was in the front of the line and who was in the back of the line. Access is what we're going to talk about today. And it matters because each of us, I think, would like to know where are we in the line for the kingdom? And what does that mean for us? And where are the people around us in line for the kingdom? And what does that mean for us? None of us likes to stand in line. I never do Black Friday. 
because I don't like to stand in line. And I went back on that this year because it had been a long time since I had bought a new phone. It was like four years old and that's long in the life of phones. And, and so I thought, okay, I've got to get a new phone. They're probably never going to have better sales than they'll have on phones on Black Friday because they don't like to put phones on sale anymore. So I thought, well, just this once because it could save me hundreds of dollars. I will go <laughs> and venture out. And we were in Oklahoma City at the time, and they had uh, super targets there that were running deals um, you know, for like $250 gift cards or something. And I thought, well, we'll give it a shot. And it was $50 less than what Walmart was offering, so I thought, all the crowds will go to Walmart you know, for the extra $50, at least all the crazies. And I will go to Target and outsmart them. So I went to Target. And I got in line, the line that would not move. And eventually they sent around this guy with an iPad that was taking people's information. And when he got to me, he took my information. He said, well, I have one of those phones left. And I said, great, I'll take it. I don't care what color it is. Um, you know, sign me up. And I said, okay, so am I good? He said, yeah, we've got your name attached to this phone. You can go anywhere in the store. They'll text you as soon as it's your turn. Uh, and you can even watch the list, you know, and see, see where you fall on that. So I stepped out of line. <laughs> and I went, and actually I kind of worked on a sermon in the Starbucks little area that they had there. And I just waited, bided my time. I waited and waited and waited until it was almost closing time, like at midnight. And I walked to the back and I said, what's the deal? <laughs> and there was no one left in line. And I said, well, hand me my phone. <laughs> I'm frustrated that you made me wait this long, but, you know, go ahead and give it. To they said, we don't have that phone. I said, well, the guy told me, <laughs> and I told him the whole spill. They were embarrassed and they were upset because apparently that guy had been working off of one plan and they had been working off of a different plan. And so uh, the line kind of got turned around and the people that were at the front of the line were suddenly at the back of the line and the people at the back of the line were in the front of the line, apparently. I ended up with a phone the next morning, like at 5 a.m. after I got like three hours of sleep miserable experience and cemented my belief in not participating in Black Friday ever again. Uh, anyway, except Academy had a good deal on 9mm rounds if you're ever looking next Black Friday. No one was there. It was nice. Alright. No one likes standing in line. And what we hate even worse than standing in line is having people tell us that after we've been standing in line a long time, the rules have changed. And we've probably all had that happen in some shape or form at some point. You know, you're in line to get on the plane and they tell you, sorry, we'll try to book another plane for you. Uh, you know, you're supposed to... Uh, have a first class seat and they bump you down to coach or sometimes it happens in a good way and you're the one that they bump up to first class or something you know and, and that's always nice but other people probably look at you like why do they get to go for it 
We don't, it's just weird. And this is kind of how people felt when Jesus showed up and started talking about the kingdom. They had their own idea of how the line worked, of how access to the kingdom worked. And Jesus came around changing all the rules. Needless to say, some of them, especially the ones that had been in the front of the line, didn't like it very much. There's so many examples of this, and I, and I want to try and hit several, because in this series, whereas we, we usually try and just focus in on one passage, I want you to get a sense of the breadth of the gospel. When, I, when we talk about these major themes, they're not themes that just appear once. When you think about the Jewish people in his day, his neighbors, what did they see the line as? How did they see access to the kingdom? Who had the easiest access and the greatest access to the kingdom in their minds? We know enough about their culture and we can read into some of the issues that we find at stake in the gospel to know that they would say the people who were the most uh, well let's just start at the beginning the people who were born a Jew right if you were born Jewish um, you know that was priority number one if you were a law abiding you know someone who tried their best to follow the Jewish law then certainly that was in your favor People with easiest access to the kingdom would have to be, you know, especially rich and powerful men in that culture. That's clearly the ones who were in, that held the power, they were expected to hold the power when the kingdom came. You know, what else would you think? In a world and in a community that often believed that the people who were rich were rich because God saw their goodness, saw something favorable in them, and blessed them accordingly. And so those who had obvious wealth and prestige, people, common people, often assumed that these were the elite. These were the ones that if anyone was in the front of the line for the kingdom, it was these. And Jesus came along messing things up. <laughs> he, he came around, turning the line around. And it started with even John the Baptist, who came and said, no, you all need to be baptized as though you were a Greek proselyte trying to become Jewish. You all need to start from square one. You have no qualifications that, that, that qualify you automatically for the kingdom. It started with Jesus sitting down and, and, and talking to this guy named Nicodemus who by anyone's standards would have been at the front of the line and telling him, no, you're not going to see the kingdom unless you are born again. In other words, your Jewish birth that you think puts you at the front of the line because you were born into this prominent family and in this prominent, you know, in God's people, this original birth of yours is not good enough. You need to be born again. There needs to be a spiritual birth that takes place in your life. And that's the very passage where we find, for God so loved the world. 
Because if you open this up to not just being born Jewish, but that you need to be born of the Spirit, then anyone could be born into the kingdom. This stirred things up. This made people wonder, well then who does have access to the kingdom? The very next chapter after that passage where we hear about uh, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus strikes up a conversation with someone who by anyone's standard in that day was at the very back of the line. A woman who was a Samaritan who had a disreputable character. She was immoral. She was of, you know, like a group of people that the Jews could not stand. If anyone was not going to inherit the kingdom, it would be the Samaritans. And here he is, striking up a conversation with her and offering her living water and telling her that he's the Messiah. And she's inviting this whole community out to visit with him. And he's spending time with them and sharing the gospel with them. What's going on here? What are you doing to the line, Jesus? (laughs) And then we have teachings of Jesus, like what we read just a little bit ago, where Jesus sat down on the side of a mountain. It's a scene like Moses on the mountain to receive commands from God of of what it looks like to be God's people. And here's Jesus sitting down teaching what it looks like to be God's people. And he's looking out and he sees his disciples. And he begins to describe to them why they are blessed and why the kingdom belongs to them. And he says bizarre things. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, who are humble and meek, who mourn, who long for justice because like, where is it? You know, all these things, like people that the rest of the world would assume are at the back of the line. And, and Jesus looks out at his disciples and he sees young men who had been rejected by the rabbis of their society. Not smart enough, not good enough, whatever. He saw people who, you know, didn't have enough money to provide for basic needs and who were having to grab grain off the side of the road and and rub it in their hands so that they could eat it as they traveled because they didn't have another source of food. I mean, who would want that for your food, (laughs) right? If you had options. He saw people who often didn't always have a place to lay their head a ragtag group. John the Baptist was locked up or dead by this point. They're hiding out in the mountains, helping people with what little they had. Look at this group in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, It's the poor in spirit who are blessed. It's the humble who will inherit the earth. It's the ones who mourn that will be comforted. 
the ones who long for justice and mercy who will see it come. Why? Why are these the ones in the front of the line? Why are these the ones with easiest access to the kingdom? Maybe it's because they were too poor to think they were rich. Too humble to think that they could be powerful. Too grieved to think that they had life under control. There's another passage where Jesus tells a couple of vineyard stories. And in the Bible, the vineyard typically represents Israel, the kingdom of God. And they would have known this because it was a, in the Jewish scriptures, this was something that they were familiar with. And so when a teacher, a rabbi, began to talk about and tell stories about vineyards and, and the vineyard master, then they're seeing Israel and Israel's God. And he tells two stories, and in the middle there's this shocking statement. The first story he told uh, was about a dad with two sons. And for, you know, since none of you own vineyards, let's just talk about mowing the grass. We, Dad gets up on a Saturday morning and says to son number one, go mow the grass. And son number one uh, says, no. And he walks out. A little bit later, he decides, ah, I better mow the grass. And he goes and he mows it. Son number two, Dad says, go mow the grass. And he says, okay, Sure. And then he goes and he gets in his car and heads out to hang out with his friends. Jesus said, which one did what his father asked him to do? And he said, first one. The second story Jesus told after the shocking statement that I'll share with you in a minute was... I can't really use the grass mowing thing because grass doesn't bear fruit. So we have to go back to the vineyard thing. But he said this guy came and he built this really nice vineyard, complete the whole nine yards. I mean, it had the the, the whole process there. You didn't just grow the grapes. You uh, you know it had the wine press and everything. So he built it. It was in good shape. He left it in the hands of some renters. This was like an investment property, right? An investment business. Um, and so he pours his capital into it, and then he leaves town. And after the next season, when there should be some fruit, then he sends a servant to come and collect the part that's his for having built the whole thing in the first place. And they beat the guy up and send him packing with nothing. You know, the ones that were supposed to be tending his vineyard for him. So he says, well, send somebody else. And they kill him. And, you know, it goes through this process, and then at last he says, all right, I'll send my son. And they'll respect him. And we'll get what we're supposed to get. But instead, 
the guys look at each other and say, this is the son, this is the heir. If we kill him, this will end up just being ours. And so they didn't. And Jesus said, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they replied, Jesus is talking to the people at the front of the line. The people in power in Jerusalem. The people who ran the temple. The people who, if the kingdom belonged to anyone, everyone assumed it was them. And those people replied to him and they said, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent the vineyard out to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus went on to say, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. You thought you were at the front of the line. You're about to find out that you're not even in line. The shocking statement in between. It's shocking enough that if I... If I said this without you, without uh, you know, to you, without telling you that it came from Jesus, you would probably think it was some kind of blasphemy or something. Especially if we contemporized it. He said to them, "Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you." He said that to the guys who made a show of their righteousness. They did all the law, you know, all the stuff, and then all the stuff on top of it. They had all the blessings and the wealth, and they held the power. And if the kingdom of God would belong to anyone, it would be them. They were, uh, at least in most circles, it seems, respected, deferred to. They were used to this. They were accustomed to this. And here comes Jesus and he says, not only are you not in front of the line, but the people who have easier access to the kingdom, the people who are actually entering into the kingdom ahead of you, are the people you consider the worst sinners, who would be at the very back of the line at best. It's like that guy at Target had promised them a phone. And now there's no phone. What are you talking about, Jesus? That statements like that and statements like, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will actually do what God asked them to do. You know, you can tell why they didn't like Jesus. Right? And yet this is a common theme that comes up again and again in Scripture. Who has access to the kingdom? And it would seem, as you look at all these examples and more, that in Jesus' mind at least, the people who are stuck at the back of the world's line are usually the first in line for the kingdom. If you want to know who has easiest and best access to the kingdom... Look for the people who the world has already written off. Look for the people who don't have it together.
If they're in the back of the world's line, they're probably in the front of the line for Jesus' kingdom. And this blew people's minds. It blew Jesus' own disciples' minds. And they asked him once, when he talked about how hard it is for someone who's rich to get into the kingdom at all. This so blew their mind and their concept of how access to the kingdom worked that they asked him, if those guys can't get in, who can? And Jesus said, well, here's the thing. With God, all things are possible. Even those who I'm saying are at the back of the line. Even those who I'm saying would have a harder time entering the kingdom than it would be to you know, put a camel through the eye of a needle, right? He'd say things like that. Uh, even those guys, it's possible for them to get into the kingdom. Jesus was not saying that uh, just because you have harder access, just because you thought you were at the front of the line, but actually you're at the back of the line, that doesn't mean you can't get into the kingdom. With God, all things are possible. But he definitely had a different perspective on who had easiest access to the kingdom. And when you look at his ministry and you see the ones who flocked to him and who found hope in him and who found their life in him, and you look at the ones who led the movement forward after his death and resurrection, and so many of them were the people that the world would put at the back of the line. So what does this all mean for us? Where are you in the line? Where am I in the line? Is access easy for us or difficult for us? It's kind of hard to figure. But I think that there's ways we can tell. Or at least we can begin to prayerfully consider uh, where we're at in this spectrum. For instance, you know, people who feel like they, they have life by the horns. You know, you've probably heard that expression. If you, if you feel like you've got life by the horns, then you're probably at the back of the line. <laughs> And if you feel like life has you by the horns, <laughs> then you're probably at the front of the line. That's a, a simplified way of saying it. Let's just kind of use what Jesus shared in the Beatitudes as sort of a guide. Uh, and I'll try to just bring it down to our level the best I can. And maybe this will help you take inventory. But if you feel incredibly inadequate to provide, like for your family or your loved ones, if you... I'm talking food and shelter, but also you know, just a sense of security or emotional support or the leadership needed. If you feel inadequate in these ways, then you're blessed for the kingdom of God can be yours so easily. If you have experienced tragic loss and heartbreak that have crushed you and brought you to the brink of despair, then you're blessed because you'll be comforted. If you are, are painfully aware 
of your unworthiness, of your inadequacies, of all of your shortcomings and of your sin, then you're blessed. For you will inherit the earth when Christ returns and establishes His kingdom. If you are someone who, you know, you look at the injustices and the corruptness in this world and it grieves you deeply as if it had happened to yourself or to someone that you loved closely. If you have a deep longing within you to see things set right, then you're blessed and you will see things set right in the fullest measure. If you're slow to retaliate and quick to show mercy, if you're tender-hearted, if you're one of those people that's constantly trying to make peace instead of stirring up drama, then you're blessed for you'll be shown mercy and called a child of God. And finally, there's those in this world who suffer greatly simply for being attached to Jesus, for simply identifying with Jesus. And theirs, absolutely, is the kingdom. There's lots of reasons, lots of things. That list could keep going. There's, there's people who are addicted to things, and you know, there's a whole long list of people who life has them by the horns. And these are the people that time and again seem to have easiest access to the kingdom. Maybe because they're the ones that recognize their need for it. Who recognize that they don't, they aren't powerful enough to save themselves, to get their life together, to get other people's lives together. And then there's others of us that that feel like we pretty much have our life together. We pretty much have provided security and things for our family. We... Life's been pretty good to us. We haven't had a lot of tragedies or things that have brought us to our knees, so to speak. We, our world seems like it's not so bad. And sometimes we have the hardest time recognizing just how poor we actually are. And just how in need we actually are of forgiveness, of a new heart within us, of a new way of life. But with God, all things are possible. So where do you find yourself today? And I want to talk just for a second about how we access the kingdom, no matter where we're at on that spectrum. Because, again, with God, all things are possible. And I suspect that many of you are probably in a similar boat to me. I think a lot of Americans, especially middle-class Americans are in this weird spot in line where we, you know, maybe we're not like the wealthiest of wealthy in our nation, but in terms of world history and world today, we have provided a lot of sense of stability and security in many of our worlds, uh, both financially and, uh, you know, just like violence-wise and all that. It's enough that the acts of violence that happen still shock us because they don't normally happen 
and they haven't normally happened. And, and we just have this sense of stability in our nation and stability and, and the sense that you know the economy keeps going forward and uh, that we ha- kind of have life together and our homes are nicer than our parents' homes and that we're you know, at the same stage of life. And we, we just have this sense that you know, it, it, life's not so bad. I mean, a few of us have experienced tragedies that rocked our worlds and, and made us recognize that, wow, you know, I don't have it together. A few of us have hit rock bottom in our lives, but a lot of us, life's been pretty good. So what do we need to do to access the kingdom? I mean, first of all, recognize that without God, it's probably impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And it starts, I think, with belief. What do you believe about Jesus? Because if you think he's just a crazy guy or a myth or a legend or whatever, there's probably not much here for you to worry about as far as access to the kingdom. What kingdom? Uh, But if you believe he's the king, as he said he was, if you believe that he did die and resurrect from the dead, that that's not just some theory out there, uh, but something that actually happened, well, that's a good starting place. And, And if you believe that, then maybe you'd be willing to take a next step, which I would call confession and repentance. This is something to practice not just to do once. This is something that Jesus taught us when he taught us how to pray. And when he went around announcing the gospel, it was he announced the kingdom and he called people to repent. And this is where those of us who maybe would be at the back of the line because we feel like we kind of have it together and we're pretty good people or whatever, this is where we begin to take inventory and say, Holy Spirit, you know, show me where I am far from, from what you originally would have in mind for me, what you had planned for me, the kind of person that you would want me to be. And I want to turn from those things and begin to live more your way. And this is where, on your knees, in repentance and in confession, where you say and recognize, I don't have it all. I can't pick myself up by the bootstraps. I don't have life by the horns. Without practicing that, it's easy to fool yourself. And one more thing I would say that might be appropriate for us. It didn't seem to be a problem for Jesus and his followers, who I believe were faced and confronted with it everywhere they went in their society. They were confronted with the injustices of this world. They were confronted with what oppression looked like. They were confronted with things like leprosy and blindness and crippledness. Everywhere that they looked, that people had to sit in a miserable state and beg for a living. This was everywhere they went. There was no putting on blinders and pretending like that stuff doesn't exist. There wasn't just, you know, driving to your nice neighborhood and, uh, and then driving to a nice store and driving back and everything's good in your world. And so the other thing I would challenge you to do 
is open your eyes to the pain. A lot of us, we don't like to do that because it makes us so uncomfortable. But those with easiest access to the kingdom are the ones that are the most uncomfortable. They're either uncomfortable because they recognize what's going on around them and in them, or they're uncomfortable because their life has become so miserable for one reason or another that they've recognized their desperate need for God and the way of life that Jesus offers. Where are you in line? What do you need to do? I want to say one last thing as we conclude. If the people stuck at the back of the world's line are usually the first in line for the kingdom, what should we be doing with the gospel? And to whom should we be taking it? Who are the people that are most likely to receive it with joy? And are we taking it to them? We are the church. We are the ones to whom Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and bring them into the kingdom. They're waiting in line. Go. And so, I just want to put up some of the last words in the New Testament. I say, it says, The Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, let them come. Let's be the people who say come to the ones who are thirsty. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your wisdom, for your insights, your insights into what we so desperately need. Thank you for sharing with us and pointing out to us those who have easiest access to the kingdom and and those who have a harder time. And we thank you most of all that nothing is impossible with our God. Help us to be the gospel people. Help us to say come. God, and if anyone in here wants to access the kingdom today, Help their unbelief. Help them to humble themselves, to admit they don't have it all together, and to choose a better way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.